Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) Thanks for joining us here again on the Blood Sisters with a Z podcast. Before you even think about continuing to listen to this dope ass show, I need you to like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel now. Please, please. And we thank have, you, they're the magic We have 60 words. subscribers right now, and mm-hmm. if we get 100 subscribers, then we can make our own URL. Ooh, so oh it could be like youtube.com slash blood sisters. Yeah. 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 All right. All we right. need y'all to tell we friends. We want that URL. All yes, right. we do. Also, don't forget to hit that notification bell thingy so you'll know when we post, and uh, you can listen right away for your viewing pleasures. And, yeah. and see it for your viewing pleasures on YouTube. Oh, mm-hmm. also, we are on Spotify now. So be sure to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell more friends. Because if we get our subscribers up on Spotify, mamas can start making some money. Okay, <clears throat> We need the money. We do need we the money. We need that money. <laughs> <laughs> now that that's out of the way. I am your host, as always, Natasha Carr, here with my two special co-hosts. Introduce yourselves, ladies. I'm Rachel Cherie. I'm Christina Mata. And today, you guys are in for a treat. Today, bachelors, I am joined by two sinfully beautiful ladies. Mm, welcome, ladies. Why don't you tell the, the listeners a little about yourselves and describe your ideal date? Well, my name is Christina, and my ideal date involves something creepy and fun. Mm. Just like, you know, my personality. <laughs> and haunted houses right yeah mm. haunted haunted houses is huge halloween's coming up so i'm down for a haunted house um i also like scary movies if you watch a scary movie um oh yeah yeah it's a scary movie bachelorette number two yeah yeah yeah, yeah. tell us about yourself baby. well my name is rachel sheree and i like long walks across the beach in the dark Ooh, bum 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 <laughs> Well, if you guys can't already tell, today we are talking about Rodney Alcala, a.k.a. the Dating Game Killer. Mm-mm. Now, why don't we go ahead and talk a little bit about Rodney's life? Okay. Rodney was born in San Antonio, Texas, August 23rd, 1943, as Rodrigo Jacquees Alcala. Oh, that's a sexy name. Jacquees. Jacquees. Really? Yeah, I know mm-hmm. that. His yeah. father's name was Raul Akala oh. Bukwar. 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 Cool. Y'all know we can't talk. Can't. <laughs> and his mother's name was Anna Marie Gutierrez. Okay? Um, it is so unsure if he has a brother and a sister, two sisters, or what it is. I, I've seen so many different things, but it looks like he has two sisters. So, mm. And I couldn't find names either. So two sisters in San Antonio. And then at the age of eight, Rodney's father moved them to Mexico. And then they stayed there for three years and then he left them. Mm. And after his mother realized that they that he wasn't coming back, she moved the family to Los Angeles. So I'm just Aww. saying, like, how you gonna move the family? 
to Mexico and then leave. Damn. He's like, I want to have the U.S. to myself. So I'm going to move you guys here and then I'm going to go have fun. In the or maybe that was his plan. I'm going to move your ass to a new country, to a different country. Yep. Can't follow me. And yes, leave you mm-hmm. there. That was some that was some con artist stuff. But I guess Rodney gets it honest. <laughs> Dang. Okay, and so he was born Rodrigo Jaquise, but, you know, he's also known as John Berger. We'll get into that a little bit later. At the age of 17, he served in the Army mm. as a clerk for four years. Okay, the U.S. Army. And then in 1964, he suffered from, like, a nervous breakdown, and then he went AWOL. He hitchhiked to his mother's house, and then when the Army caught up with him, they gave him a um, a psychological evaluation, diagnosing him with antisocial personality disorder. So hmm. he was discharged on medical commission. Uh, after leaving the army, he graduated from UCLA, the School of Fine Arts. Okay. And after he graduated from UCLA, he got a job um, as a uh, counselor for children at the, at, at some New Hampshire um, arts. So, did you all know that he had an IQ of 135? Mm. That's high, right? Yeah. Okay. I heard. I I mean, (laughs) IQs are so like outdated. I don't even really remember. I heard throughout the whole thing, like all my research, I've seen that he was really, really smart. He has an IQ of 135, and it just when y'all hear his um his crimes and everything that he did. You'll see he's a very smart person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christina, he is smart. I mean, just because he did all this stupid shit, that don't mean he ain't smart. Smart people do stupid shit. They that's do. For sure. They do. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just saying, okay, he book smart. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You looking at you're me giving, like Rachel. You're giving, you're giving me that look like. <laughs> like, damn, he, he, he got an IQ of 135. Damn. No, he was, he was, I, I agree. He must have been very smart. To, he got away with so much for so long. He was definitely smart. He knew how to act. He knew how to talk. Definitely. He was a very smart being. So the crimes that he committed, why don't you tell us about that? Oh, all right. Well, buckle in, bitches, because it's going to be a wild freaking <laughs> ride, okay? <laughs> There's a lot. So... I kind of compiled all of my research together into a timeline as to when these murders should have, might have been committed. Um, altogether, I have like 11 or 12 murders listed. Okay. Um, so we'll kind of, we'll start from there and, and just see what happens. They said so, he could have did 130 though. Yeah. I see 150. Oh my God. Okay, we sorry, Christine. We jumping the gun. Go. Nope. That's, that's <laughs> definitely a ton. Definitely over 100 for sure. Damn. So the very first one that we have documented was from 1968, September 25th. Tally Shapiro is walking to school. So Tally was living at the Chateau Mormont Hotel in West Hollywood with her parents because their house had recently burned down. Tally didn't like taking the bus to school, so she would wake up early and walk instead. She was walking to school when Rodney drove up to her on Sunset Boulevard in a tan-colored car and asked if she wanted a ride to school. 
Tally had been prepared for this by her parents for these types of situations, and she told him that she is not allowed to talk to strangers. And this is, you know, exactly what she tells him. Not allowed to talk to strangers, going to school. Rodney tells her that he actually knows her parents and that he has a beautiful picture that he would like to show her if she would get in the car. So with this, somehow that works. You're, she was eight years old, mm. you know. Um, he was able to entice her and she got in the car. Luckily, another motorist uh, witness saw the interaction taking place and thought it looked suspicious. So they notified the authorities right away. Good. The motorist followed the two and saw them go into Rodney's apartment. Mm. This is when uh, the officer named Chris Camacho was called to the scene to check out the situation. So he knocks on the door and states that he's with the LAPD. Rodney sticks his head out of a side window and says that he was in the shower and he'll be right there. Mm -hmm. So Chris actually tells him, I'm going to give you 10 seconds, and then I'm knocking the door down. Period. So he yeah. gives him 10 seconds, you know, 8, 9, 10, counts it out. When, <laughs> if you're not sure how to count, it goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That's two hands, all right? So he gave him two hands of time. When he sees the apartment, he, he kicks the door down, and when he gets in the apartment, what he sees is a horror show. So... On the floor, he sees Tally laying face up in a pool of blood mm. with a metal bar laying across <clears throat> her throat. Wow. It appears that she's not breathing. Uh, she had been raped. Her throat, her shoes are thrown across the floor. Chris picks up the bar with a towel and sets it aside so that she's no longer being held down. Mm. He then goes to search for Rodney and quickly realizes that he's escaped out the back door. He's lost hope for the situation. But suddenly, from the other room, he starts to hear a coughing, choking, kind of sputtering <coughs> sound. Turns out Tally is alive and she's slowly regaining consciousness. So now the whole focus of the investigation is going towards making sure that Tally's okay, going to send her to the hospital for medical care. The house is full of investigators trying to find out, trying to find clues as to who committed this crime. They notice that the home is full of photography, and they find Rodney's ID from UCLA. Apparently, Rodney studied, this is what I read, he studied theater at UCLA. Mm. And even professors at the university, when they were questioned, couldn't believe that he had committed those crimes. That crime, he was there like, no, there's no way that was him. I seen one documentary and a professor actually said he wouldn't hurt anyone. He's truly a great guy. <laughs> great guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the maybe not a great guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, bud. Sorry to break it to you, but uh, actually, meh. So in 1969, he's added to the FBI's most wanted list, and he manages to go undetected for years. Turns out that he moved to New York, and as Rachel mentioned, he changes his name to John Berger. Mm. Why he decided to choose the name John Berger is beyond me. It's kind of a, I guess it's a very generic name. You can kind of mix in with the crowd. Oh, yeah. Of all, like, John Right, John. Everyone's right. name is John. Right. True. And then right. Burger. I love good burger, so sure. Yeah. Bob's Absolutely. Burgers. 
Right. Good show. So he started attending NYU film school and actually stutter studied stuttered. <laughs> no, he studied under Roman Polanski. Does anyone know Roman? He Polanski? married his daughter. That's the guy, right? That's Woody Allen. Oh shit. Nope. Mixing up with white people. I don't know who Roman <laughs> Polanski. <laughs> <laughs> You know how it goes. Right, my bad. Wrong one. (laughs) Roman Polanski directed Rosemary's Baby. You guys remember that movie at all if you've seen that movie? Yeah. Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Mm -hmm, I remember that. Or. I'm kidding. I mean, I know you. I know. I was just going to say, like, we can always watch it at another time, but I know you guys haven't seen. What's the movie? Silence of the Lambs, either. No, no, a no, little no, bit. no, no, no. You've seen a little bit, I've right? seen pieces there you go. <laughs> of Silence of the Lambs. I always watched the dang on movie when I was going to bed. Mm-hmm. I don't like movies. And you fall asleep. I like sitcoms. So. <laughs> I just want to watch movies with you guys. So, he directed Rosemary's Baby, but a, a weird thing about Roman Polanski and Rodney Alcala was that Roman Polanski actually drugged and raped a 13-year-old girl. And I knew he did something. Yeah, so he was, uh, side story here, um, very similar kind of stories to Rodney Alcala. So he had asked, Roman Polanski asked the victim's mother if he could do a photo shoot of her for the French edition of Vogue. And the victim stated that she felt uncomfortable doing the first shoot but agreed to a second shoot and essentially eventually she was he was raped and he was convicted eventually of unlawful sexual intercourse with a minor but he fled the country before sentencing mm-hmm. so short story about Roman Polanski there but it's kind of funny how those two ended up knowing each other somehow but anyway it said that this year in 1971, he also murdered Cornelia Crilly, who was a 23-year-old TWA flight attendant. She was found raped and strangled with her own stockings in her apartment in New York. It was a cold case until DNA was able to connect him to the murder in 2011. So as DNA evidence gets better, he's slowly getting connected to more and more crimes. Later in 1971, two girls actually see the FBI Most Wanted List poster at the post office, and they recognize him as John Berger. He is a camp counselor at their all-girls drama camp. Mm -hmm. So they notify the authorities, and he's taken back to California. They're about to do a trial for Tally Shapiro's attempted murder. Tally's parents actually moved to Mexico during that time and they will not come back so that Tally can testify against Rodney. So he's actually able to plead to a lesser charge. He's pleased to molestation. He gets one to 99 years under this indefinite sentencing law where he gets one to 99 years and he's actually sentenced by a parole board. And the parole board kind of gets to check up on him and decide when he's able to be released. So he only serves 34 months before he gets out again. 
them. I don't like that at yeah. all. They at least made them register. Too fucking big, like one to ninety nine. Yeah, years. Mm-hmm. They at least made them register as a sex offender, though. Too. I mean, well, that was something. Clearly, yeah. that didn't stop them, but. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. When you're dealing with someone like him, it's really no matter what you do to this dude, it's not really going to do anything. He's just going to keep doing what he wants to do. Exactly. 34 so. months, two months shy of three years. Wow. So basically as soon as he gets out in October of 1974, he, uh, his next victim is named Julie. She was 13 years old. He offers her a ride to school and instead he takes her to a nearby beach where he gives her marijuana and tries to kiss her. Police actually see this, and he's charged with violating his parole. So he ends up getting another indefinite sentence, and not only was he released again in 77, but later the parole board also let him leave California and return to New York. Mm. July of 1977 in New York is when he is supposedly you know, murdered, uh, his next victim, Ellen Hover, she was 23, and she was Ciro's nightclub heiress, which was a huge nightclub back in that time in the L.A. area, Hollywood area. Further evidence also showed that Rodney's alias, named John Berger, was written in her date book. Her remains were found 11 months after her disappearance on the Rockefeller estate in Westchester County. He eventually does go back to California. And I'm just going to kind of go through a few of the murders that made sense during this timeline. November of 1977, Jill Barcombe of L.A., she was 18 years old at the time. She was raped, sodomized, and strangled using her belt and pant leg. He also used a rock to smash in her face, and she was discovered in a wooded area in Hollywood, posed on her knees with her face in the dirt. Later in 1977, again, 19-year-old Pamela Lampson of San Francisco Bay area went missing after saying she was going to see a photographer. Her body was later found, but this one wasn't technically proven as the DNA evidence was too broken down to decipher, but he is the top suspect for that murder. Later in December of either 77 or 78, in various articles that I read, it was written as being in 77 or 78, this victim, her name is Georgia Wickstead. She was a 27-year-old nurse. She was beaten with the claw end of a hammer and was strangled to death. Her body was then posed in her apartment till it was found. And this is kind of a theme that we see with a lot of his victims that he beat them, strangled them to death, and then ended up posing their bodies to be found. Around this time, he starts working at the LA Times as a typesetter. He is also interviewed as a potential suspect in the Hillside Strangler murders, but as it turns out, he wasn't the Hillside Strangler, but little did they know while they were interviewing him, he was a completely different serial killer altogether. Mm. While being interviewed, he was found to be in possession of marijuana and was given a short jail sentence for that. And 1978 is the year that he appears on the dating game. So 
while he appears on the dating game, he is literally in the middle of his murder right. spree. Right. He's got no shame whatsoever. He's going to put his face on TV. So, and also keep in mind at this point, he's still registered as a sex offender. He was registered mm-hmm. this whole time. <laughs> I doubt, I don't know, if, did they not do a background check on the dude? What, I don't know. I read something like, like fishy about the, the background check. Like it, it clearly wasn't a, um, a legit background check. Mm. It wasn't, it couldn't have been. Maybe he just gave them no never mind i was gonna say maybe they did the background check under his alias but he was obviously introduced as rodney alcala so when he goes on the dating game in 1978 he is described as a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13 fully developed <laughs> and his daddy wasn't even there his daddy abandoned him by that point his daddy <laughs> abandoned him at eight. Like, you didn't have a daddy he didn't have a daddy to get you doing shit <laughs> it's like you're, you're really making stuff up there bless your heart uh, between takes you might find him skydiving or motorcycling mm. everybody run he Alcala so I watched some of the dating game footage from that show. A he lot was of so the, handsome. And he was so he, flirtatious. Yeah. Oh, I'm funny. He was witty. He was. And yeah. a lot of the comments that I saw on, you know, some of the videos that I watched was like, this is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. I didn't find it creepy at, at all. all. If you separate yourself, Rodney Elkola, the murderer, from mm-hmm. just a random contestant on the dating show, you're like, he's witty. He's funny. Yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. during that time, his whole look, like his vibe, the hair, the smile. I was right. like, I'd go on a date with him. The hair was a big deal back then. <laughs> yeah. He had those waves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rodney was fun. But, but that's why I didn't last with the woman that, that chose him, because she mm-hmm. said he was too creepy. Yeah, she but wouldn't I, go on the date with right, him. She saved her life. She wouldn't go on the yeah. date. Yeah. But when maybe they... she like talked to him. Yeah. Before they were supposed to actually mm-hmm. go on a date. And did y'all see what the date was that they won? Yeah. <laughs> they talk were, about it? Yeah, they were supposed to go play tennis, go to a tennis lesson, and they were provided with these, like, cute tennis outfits and shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, okay. And then they got treated to Magic Mountain. Yeah, go to Magic Mountain. <laughs> these grown-ass adults. <laughs> it's going to be a Magic Mountain, all right. <laughs> Yeah. Shit. So, I mean, he did have a lot of witty answers to some of these questions. I mean, he goes, what is, you know, to you, what is the best time? And he's like, the best time is at night, night time. Yeah. <laughs> she kept saying, like, what do you mean? And he was like, yeah. what happens at night or something? Yeah. He was like, what, what's wrong with morning, afternoon? And he was like, that's the only time there is. <laughs> night time is when it gets good. Like, yeah. Because no one can see your face, like well, right. The morning so away with one. shit. <laughs> and I oh. seen one of the answers, and it was like, uh, I think they asked, like, what was your favorite, like, food? Like, if you were a food or something, what was that? Oh, one? she's like, I'm serving you for dinner. Yeah. What or like, what's the dish, and you know how, whatever. I don't know. He goes, I'm called the banana. The banana, right? Like, <laughs> and what? I look, look really, really good. good. <laughs> 
she could hit her dumb ass. Yeah. Can you be a little more descriptive? Oh, yeah. I can what be a little descriptive say? about my goes, banana. That's peel he me. Oh. <laughs> And she even answered, like, when she picked them, she was like, I like bananas, so I'll take I, that's number That's what she one. said. <laughs> it's like, all right, not so she want to be peeled. You better get I peeled. I like bananas. They want to peel each other. Uh, <laughs> she was cheesing the soul. He started talking. Uh-huh. He, he uh, sounded really smooth. But I did see some comments that were like, this is creepy. And it's like, it's only creepy because you guys are going in knowing what he did. Yeah, because But if you were know. watching this, like, today, just old episodes of The Dating Game, you'd be like, mm-hmm. ooh. Right. I'll see you, Daddy. It's like he's he's smooth as hell. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another well, one that was kind of weird was that she was talking about how she's a drama teacher, and she tells him, "You're a dirty old man," and he's like, "Come here." <laughs> 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 she was really annoying to me during that episode. Like she was doing all these voices and stuff. Yeah. I was like, she's clearly trying to audition for something. I was something. just gonna say she's trying to get some exposure for something. <laughs> yeah, I do voices. Mm-hmm. Did you get it? The cat's laughing. She gets it. Oh, she just jumped up. Where'd you sit down? She's like, okay, I'll play. I'll play the game. Right. It digit. So apparently backstage she gets to know this dude and she got a creepy vibe from him and decided not to go on the date. Bless her heart for following her gut. So later on, um, June 24th of 1978, after the dating game was a bust for him, he didn't claim a victim that day. June 24th, 1978, Charlotte Lamb is found. She is a 33-year-old secretary. Charlotte Lamb was raped and murdered. She was strangled using her shoelace, and her body was posed in a laundry room of an apartment complex where she was discovered that day, June 24th. It is also believed that somehow during this time he managed to get to Seattle, as we'll discover later. He spent some time in, in Seattle it's believed that he killed 13-year-old Antoinette Whitaker and 17-year-old Joyce Gotch. They were eventually connected to the murders in uh, 2010. Later on, June 24th of 1979, 21-year-old Jill Parento is found dead in her Burbank home after being raped and strangled. He was suspected of the murder, but there was not enough evidence to tie him to the crime. And later on, DNA evidence was able to tie him to it. So, Jill Parento is dead on June 14th. Just six days later is when Robin Samso goes missing. So this was June 20th of 1979. This is ultimately the last murder that we know about. Robin uh, was a a girl who loved to dance and was actually going to be starting a dance class that day. Earlier in the day, Robin was hanging out with her best friend, Bridget, and they decided to go down to the beach to do somersaults and shit, do kid shit. So this is when they're hanging out at the beach. They're approached by Rodney, who actually asks if he could take their pictures This tends to be a theme with him. He likes to ask women if he can take their pictures. He works for a magazine. He's doing a contest. He's a good photographer. Right. A lot of his pictures are, they look nice. So Bridget 
got a creepy vibe from him and actually said, no, you can't take our pictures and pulled Robin's arm in order to create a distance between them and Rodney. According to Bridget, Rodney actually then reaches out and tries to touch Robin's leg. It's at this point, one of Bridget's neighbors appears and actually asks the girls if everything's okay. At that point, Rodney gets a whiff of the suspicion and he just clears the fuck out. He puts his head down. He's just gone. So the neighbor says that wasn't normal and instructs the girls to leave the beach and get home right away. Robin had to be at her dance class by four and Bridget had actually said to Robin, take my bike and take the bike to class. And that is the last time she was seen alive. So her, her friend actually, you know, she, they're still kind of shaken up about the ordeal and she says, take my bike to your dance class. So Mm. don't talk to anybody on the way there. Just, just take the bike and get there. And, no one saw her after that. She went missing. Mm. Her body was found just 12 days later on July 2nd of 1979. A fire crew in L.A. was doing routine drills and fire prevent- prevention maintenance in a wooded area when they found a small body. It was unclear as to who exactly it was because the body was actually nothing but a skeleton at that point probably due to being outside and being among the wildlife there was nothing left of her did you see the interview with her mom her mom actually was like uh i seen it she was crying she's like what's wrong with you people how many little girls with long blonde hair disappear that it took you three days to identify her and the detective had to tell her there was no hair there was no hair left yeah yeah The actual skeleton had been dismembered when they found it. The head was separated from the body, the hands were removed, and the front teeth were cracked. And it was also later discovered that she had been strangled. Authorities were able to confirm a few days later, after referencing dental records, that it was indeed Robin Samso. And after she's found, Bridget is able to go ahead and give a good enough description of Rodney to create a sketch of him and so begins the the story of his conviction yeah so that murder of robin took place 11 years after uh he assaulted little tolly shapiro just give you kind of a timeline of how long he had been in the game at this point so keep your seatbelt on bitches don't take mm-hmm. it off mm-hmm. uh this trial gets a little confusing mm-hmm. i'm going to mainly just cover the things that he actually ended up being convicted of Um, Because Christina gave you a long list of the known kind of uh, victims. Um, So nearly one year after Robin Samso's murder, February 1980, he went on trial. After two and a half months and nearly 50 witnesses testifying, our dating game killer was convicted and sentenced to death. Now, here's the kicker. Shortly after the ruling in a five to one decision, the California State Supreme Court rules he didn't receive a fair trial. They claimed the jury was improperly told about his prior sex crimes, including the crimes against Tally Shapiro. So this forced the families to have to sit through a second trial. So six years later, he was then convicted a second time and again sentenced to death row in California at San Quentin's. Now, after all of this time, he still wanted to appeal again. And bitch, guess what? Mm. 
In 2001, 22 years after killing Robin Samso, a federal appeals court overturned his sentence for a second time based on evidence he did not get to present. Yes. You follow me? So this man was an intelligent charmer and he was able to now in his 60s, he's getting ready for another trial of the, the, the young girl that he already that we clearly all know that he killed. But they decided that he did not get to fairly present some evidence which could have swayed jurors to find him not guilty. Based on what? Exactly. So he's in his 60s uh, with stunning hair that would make a beautiful wig, I want to add. It was like a like a wig type, uh, like a like a witch type texture. It was black. It was gray. It was like a silvery thing. Y'all seen pictures? Of oh, them? yeah. It was very cur- It was even more curly somehow yeah, than it was, it was before. It was wild. It was it was beautiful. I was like, I would rock that on Halloween as a wig. <laughs> gorgeous. Of course you would. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So in 2010, nine years later, 33 years since the murder of Ellen and 39 years since the murder of Cornelia in New York uh, City, which Christina talked about, cold case detectives were finally able to link Alcala to the murder of both women. They were able to identify him because of a fingerprint. There was a letter lodged under Cornelia's body, and through the FBI database, they were able to match the print to him. There were also bite marks on um, Cornelia's breast that matched his dental records. So they were also able to link him to there. Now, these cases were similar to other sexual murders that he had committed, so this was enough for them to want to pursue him. A witness also claimed that she saw him uh, by the Rockefeller Center with a camera bag and a woman who looked like Ellen Hoover. Now, we did mention, um, did you know who Ellen's godparents were? No. Okay, so I had seen earlier. All right, I got to find it because it was, I think it was Sammy Davis Jr., if I'm not mistaken. Like, Ellen came from a very, uh, like, artistic, high-end family. So that's why when he actually um, abducted her, her case made, like, the front page news. But yeah, I think it was, like, uh, it was Sammy Davis, and I can't remember who the other guy was, but she had two very uh, well-known godfathers. Her godfathers were Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he he kind of messed up when he um, kidnapped Ellen because it was a really big deal at that time, right? So the prosecutors in Manhattan had to wait for Alcala's third trial now in California for little Samso's murder uh, to be over. Now, before the trial, DNA leaked him to the murders of Jill Barcombe in 1977, Georgia Wixted in 1977, and Charlotte Lamb in 1978. And there was a killing of a fourth woman in L.A. in 1979. Did you see who that was, who he was convicted of? A fourth woman in 79. Because I didn't see a name on that. Is that Jill Parento? Probably. Okay, so Jill Parento. Um, we're going to go with that one in 1979. Mm. So the prosecutors then decided to try all five murders together. Now, Alcala, as ignorant and beautiful and cocky as he is, he decided he wanted to serve as his own attorney this time. All right. Weeb. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I'm able to convince y'all to let me get a third trial, I might be cocky enough to be like, let me go ahead and, and, and represent myself. Y'all dumb enough to keep letting me appeal this shit. So someone keeps entertaining him. <laughs> exactly. So messed Mm-hmm. So what's even more messed up is he was then able to cross-examine the witnesses, including the long-suffering mother of Robin Samso. 
Yep. And this Isn't is now just a bunch of shit. Yep. <laughs> this is now 10 years later for the third time. Um, she has to go to the courtroom for the murder of her 12 year old daughter. So he tried to attack her character by questioning why during the first trial, she brought a gun to court and she admitted she did. And she later in an interview, she said she was going to shoot him right between the eyes. If she got a shot, mm-hmm. who could blame her? Do you remember what stopped her? Yep. So she said the only reason that she didn't is because she smelled her daughter's shampoo and she felt her hand on her and she could not move, remove her hand from her purse. She couldn't move. Yep. So, um, that meant you wasn't supposed to kill him. It's like, mama, nope. She ended up not killing him. Thankfully. Um, Alcala ended up writing a book about the Samso case and he published it in 1994 before the DNA tests were actually conducted. Now, because he was representing himself, the prosecutor was able to drill him about the book and prove that he was lying during the cross examination uh, about a lot of the details he said in the book. They actually called one of his first known victims, Tally Shapiro. Now remember her family moved out to Mexico. This time they were actually able to get Tally Shapiro to the stand. And as an adult, she was questioning why they didn't even stop him after he clearly attacked her. Why was he able to go on and kill so many women? Because remember, like Christina described, he was able to get off on that too after what was it, 34 months? Yep, the indefinite indefinite sentencing of one to ninety nine years in which he was let out at thirty four months by a parole board. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the the justice system throughout this whole time is just sadly, they're just getting it wrong over and over. Um, For his closing argument, something that I found pretty creepy, he thought playing a song by Arlo Guthrie, I believe that's how you say it, about where he talked about wanting to kill people and see blood and guts and brains would somehow make the jury show him mercy. And I heard a little clip of the song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some messed up lyrics. It was. Mm-hmm. It was. It was pretty dark. And I seen the, the prosecutor's face while he's playing. And like the prosecutor's just sitting there looking like, what the fuck? You're digging your own grave, right, bud. Like, Keep going. Like, you play that freaking song. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? He's, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't wrapped too tightly. Uh, now, for the third time, Samso's family, excuse me, was in the courtroom. But this time they were joined with the families from four other victims while they waited for the verdict. He was as you guessed, once again found guilty and sentenced to death. So at this point, he's been on death row for more than 30 years. Uh, The only good thing about it this time was that he was now convicted of five murders instead of the one. Mm -hmm. So his chances of actually being able to appeal this are pretty slim Slim, to none. Right. Yeah. So now after this... um, case was wrapping up new york was ready to go after him and in june of 2012 he was back in new york and by december he had pled guilty now this shocked the prosecutors because he denied everything up until this point so i think the final um verdict in la of being convicted of these five murders kind of made his cockiness kind of go away and he's like all right you know what fuck it i did it i'm just gonna go ahead and plead guilty to new york to the new york uh murders So for the two New York murders, he was sentenced to two concurrent prison terms of uh, 25 years to life. And it is said that the judge actually cried during the sentencing as these murders went unsolved for so long. These are the ones that went unsolved for 33 and 39 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So he he traveled a lot, though, because he was he was coast to coast photographing women doing his theater shit. Mm -hmm. So they they assume he killed lying. (laughs) Yes. 
waving that beautiful hair that I want to make a wig into. Big ass, big hair, jive, turkey. <laughs> you think maybe eventually when he does die, get the death sentence, we could get his hair? Fuck him in that hair. Oh, I want that hair. I don't want his hair. He uh, he on some bullshit. I mean, Halloween's coming up. We could wear it. Ooh, we could be Rodney Elkala in different stages of his life. So, Natasha, you could wear the wig and be him now. Right? You could be, Rachel, you could be dating game Rodney. Right? He wasn't saying that. He had killed somebody already. I don't want to be Rodney. You want to be baby Rodney? I want to be baby Rodney. just want to be a baby? No, because baby Rodney was left by his daddy. Maybe Papa before. Rodney. before I don't want to be Rodney. Happens. He on some bullshit. Well, shit. I'll, I'll, I'll be we'll dating game this. Rodney. And... Right. We'll discuss this later, Monta. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> so after he was convicted of the seven murders and facing five separate uh, death penalties, Kathy Thorpe, who spent 39 years looking for her missing sister, Christine. Uh, in 2013, her son, Kathy's son, was watching 48 Hours and seen an episode on Akala, and that took him to their website. And a bunch of photos of unidentifi- unidentified uh, women taken by Akala popped up. So he sent these pictures to his mother, and Kathy noticed her, her sister's baby toe immediately in two of the pictures. So when Kathy Googled the name, um, she believed she ended up finding out and believing that Alcala was actually the last person who saw her sister alive. She submitted uh, her DNA to a national database of missing persons so that so that if her sister's DNA was ever submitted, it would be matched. And in Wyoming, a detective was working on a cold case on an unidentified woman who was found in 1982. Um, the skull was intact, so they recreated what his victim looked like. And more than 30 years went by with no leads. But the bones were found next to clothing, and they assumed the body had been picked apart by animals. She was a woman about 25 to 35, and her body had been out there for five to six years and had also been about six months pregnant. So the crime lab actually collected and saved skin tissue and bone fragments, and they processed the mitochondrial I might be saying that wrong. You said it wrong. I said, oh, I'm so smart today. Uh, DMA, (laughs) uh, which is from the mother's side of the family, and siblings would be a match. Did you know about this one? Because I see your face. I I know that, I know the story about the the guy who went and looked at the pictures and, and noticed his aunt was in one of them or, or sent them to his his mother for yeah. her to look through because he didn't notice his mom like the mom the interview i seen the mom yeah, was talking so about he didn't notice he didn't notice his aunt so he sent the pictures there, to the mom okay was was there an actual picture of her you mentioned yeah, her there pinky was two. toe there was two pictures of her oh, okay there was one in black and white um but i think that was a picture that they were just using from like something she took back in the day the picture that for sure rodney took of her she was on a motorcycle okay. and she had a yellow t-shirt on i believe and that's the one where you can clearly see her pinky toe in it. And her sister was like, yes, I know. Because her pinky toe was very small. She had like a really distinct oh, looking pinky okay. toe. And so her sister was like, I knew for a fact that that was my sister in that picture. Um, so the crime lab actually, like I said, they saved the, the skin tissues. And then less than a year uh, later, Kathy's DNA was matched to the missing woman's DNA. And she was able to finally receive the answers of what happened to her sister. During the summer of 1977, she had split up from her boyfriend. She ended up meeting Alcala, and they went on a bike ride to Granger Prairie on his motorcycle. So in her photo, she actually posed on the bike, like I said, and she was smiling from ear to ear. And they believe that's right before he killed her because the locations and the photos and where her body was found was within yards of each other. So they think that he killed her shortly after he took the picture of her. 
smile for the camera. What thrill is he? I'm trying to understand. You know, I need to know the damn why. I need to know why. Why? Yeah. He's seeing this woman in distress. I'm just like, hey, girl, you want to go? But you go on the fucking trip. Yep. So that detective from Wyoming, he actually ended up flying to California to speak to him. Because remember, at this point, Rodney is um, is still, I said Rodney. Alcala, yeah, I'll call it. Rodney Alcala. Mm-hmm. He's still in uh jail. I've been calling him Alcala. I forgot his first name was Rodney. <laughs> like Peter. Uh yeah, so Rodney. Peter. Rodney's still uh he's in jail at this point. But he was moved from um San Quentin to the medical un- unit at Corcoran Prison outside of Fresno. So that by the time they got there, he was frail, had borderline dementia, in poor health. They talked about how long his toenails were, the, the walls were filthy, there was flies buzzing everywhere. But once they showed him the picture of Christine, the woman on the motorcycle, uh, but but actually before they even showed him that picture of Christine, they showed him a picture of the crime area. And he said, I know that area. That's my area. So then they showed him a picture of Christine and he started to, they described and they started to seem like he relived that day in his mind. And he sat with the photograph on his lap, used his index finger to trace her body for about five minutes. Then he started tapping on the photo over and over, over and over on her body, getting louder and louder. Then he looked up at the detectives and said nothing. So it's like even when he had dementia, he's playing these mind games with them. He already knows he's going to die in jail, so he's not going to give them what they they came to see or the the answers that they were looking for. Mm -hmm. So when they asked him if he killed her, he said, no, no, you're crazy. You're stupid. She was alive when I left her. So that was enough for the the detectives. They just wanted him to admit that he was the last person mm-hmm. to see her alive, that he was with her. So they did decide, uh, they were able to charge him with first-degree murder, but they decided not to extradite him. Uh, one of the detectives said he didn't want to give him a vacation. He's like, he, he's been on in prison since 1979. I don't want to reward him with a vacation to Wyoming. So he was not ultimately charged with the murder of Christine. But from the way he reacted to the picture, the fact that he had her picture on one of the the list of pictures that was unidentified women, Mm -hmm. we can assume that he killed Christine. And I seen the interview with Kathy, her sister, and it it seemed pretty convincing because that pinky toe did look a little different. So (laughs) I would have been able to like, yeah, that's my sister pinky toe. Um, I can point out my sister's pinky toe. Yep. So I, I definitely believe the sister. She was like, ah, oh, yeah, I know for a fact that's that's my sister. Um, oh my and the fact that he held the picture and he even was like, oh, this is my area. And he traced her body for five minutes like he was yeah. reminiscing. Thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yikes. So um, the detectives of Wyoming, I actually seen one because I know Rachel said it was 130. He actually was like, I think he killed 150 to 200 people. Whoa. And he said, but this is just one man. But he was saying after he met him, he was like seeing how arrogant and charming he was. He would not be surprised if the numbers were really, really high. Mm-hmm. I need to know why. I need to know why. Rodney is still alive and on death row. So maybe mm-hmm. we can mess it. We can send him a letter. I think I he's on Facebook. You know what? They do give prisoners now access to social media. He probably <gasps> got a Facebook. I just want to know why oh, did you no. do that? Okay, so you take you take this girl on a bike ride and 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 you take pictures of her and give her a nice time and then you kill her? I don't, I'm six trying months to understand pregnant. why. Mm-hmm. And she was pregnant? Come on, man. Why? Yeah, and that's just one of the ones that we know about. And on top of all the ones that uh, Christina was going through, too. And he's so fucking gruesome. Like, why you... Yeah. Why you do that? 
And you leave the girls' bodies all out there for animals to get to them and stuff so that they can't be identified or because your dumbass, even though he's a very smart person, you're still stupid because you don't believe that they can be identified. Uh, bones and teeth matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it shows how the way he like just disregarded the bodies and disposed of them. It shows how little he actually cared for women. So I just want to mm-hmm. know why your daddy didn't want to left you, not your mama. Right. That always surprised yep. me. Like, yeah, they have these like women in their lives who are trying to fight for them, but they go after women and attack them. I just need to understand. And then you went on a dating show. Girl, I'm done with Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on that's Rodney? True. Well, well you'd, you'd think based on his past, he would go after like fatherly type men. But you, you know? went after women. Your mama moved you from Mexico. Your daddy moved y'all to Mexico. Right. Like, and then left y'all asses you? there after three years. He left him, what, at 12 years old? He moved him there at eight. Left him at 12, 11 and, years old, 11, 12. Yeah. Whatever. And when he was eventually tracked down after Bridget helped make this composite sketch of him he was living with his mom so his mom was yep. still there for him she was still supporting him and he actually had a girlfriend at the time too and the girlfriend claimed that he was this smart charismatic person like how is he separating his girlfriend from his victims and mm. these other women in his life oh Rodney well that is the story of Rodney the dating game killer, uh, Alcala, uh, yeah. Alcala, Alcala, Alkaline, Rodney, Alkaline Water, mm. period. H2O. Rachel's still sitting here with her mouth open. If anyone knows why, <laughs> tell us why. I don't like him. Like, it'd be different. I mean, I can actually, I don't want to say I understand, but a guy that gets hurt by one woman and then want to act a fool after that one woman, okay, fine, mm. at least you have a reason. He don't seem like he had a damn reason. None mm-hmm. at all. Just a six, Any six sadist. woman that he's approached only, he's only, uh, you know, been freaking cute with them and he attracts all these women. Any of the women that he's been in contact with haven't been horrible to him in any way right he's clearly competitive and he's so handsome and charming so maybe he did it just because he knew he could do it he was so cocky he was like i bet if i started killing people i can get away with this shit. just a game yeah it was a game for him he was very competitive he was like let me just see what i can do i mean he went on a game show so i guess it was a game yeah i don't like that shit though he out of order he is quite well, that brings us to this. Rachel got a lip all turned up. I'm sorry, Rachel. We finna, we finna get off the air so you can fuss. Uh, but that brings us to this week's cold-hearted question. Of course, inspired by the dating game killer himself. Now, I may have worded this different or weirdly. We discussed it earlier. <laughs> Hopefully, y'all follow with me. My mind has not been here, y'all. It has been a long week for you, girl. Um, how would you sell yourself to unsuspecting bachelors if you were a sex-crazed murderess with a deep desire to be loved? So in short, sell yourself to an eligible bachelor if you were on the dating game show and you were the female version of Rodney Alcala. Make it creepy. Who want to go? Me? Mm. I'll go. Okay. Hi there. My name is Christina, and you can call me X-Tina. 
And then as you get to know me more, you can call me Triple X Tina. I really, really love hard. And as you know, I, I, I just once you have me, I am so there. But if you hurt me ever, I will tear you apart. <laughs> Who the fuck was that? <laughs> I'm a little turned on right now. Girl, phone sex operate might be in your future. Oh, um, that'd be fun. Oh my God, triple I'm X. Still, I, I thank you. I was stuck on the triple X Tina part. Not triple X Tina. <laughs> I was stuck on the triple X Tina part. Oh, child. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'll go. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, let me get my shit together. Hello, boys. Do you like deep, red, hot, toe-curling massages? They call me the love doctor. Here to take you out of your misery and leave an everlasting smile on your face. You'll be frozen with fear over how good I am with my hands and tools. Pick me to be released from your stressful life as I put you out of your misery. I'll bathe in the red hot lava I extract from your body. Your pain is my game, but you're sure to go out smiling. Red hot lava. Red hot lava from your body. I like it. Red hot lava. Now anyone who listens to that and is like, yeah, I don't I don't know what red hot lava she's talking about, but I'm game. They they deserve what's coming to them. Exactly. (laughs) I uh Rachel turned us on creepily. (laughs) Okay. Hello, this is Rachel Cherie here. And even though I like long walks on the dark beach with the full moon. I also like light walks on the beach with the sun shining. And I'm one of those gals that like to suck you. However, if you play me, I'll suck the life out of Oh shit! So the vampire over here. Oh, okay, shit. this got deep and dark, and, and this <laughs> is Blood Sisters after dark. <laughs> You're welcome, bachelors. Blood Sisters after dark. Hit us in the comment section. Right. Bachelorette number one, bachelorette number two, or bachelorette number three. Let us know who you want to go on a date with. Okay. <laughs> That does it for this episode of Blood Sisters. Yeah. As always, thank y'all for joining us here at Blood Sisters with a Z podcast. Before you click off of this video, like, comment, subscribe, pitch bachelorette, pick bachelorette number one, two, or three. Okay. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We need more listeners on YouTube. And on Spotify. Mm-hmm. All yep. right. Yep. 
perfect. Now, if you love the show, like I said, make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. We have to get our numbers up, people. As always, we love you for listening. I am Natasha Carr with Rachel Sheree. Christina Mata. Flirting with darkness and promoting weird brown girl joy. Until next time. We love you long time. Peace.